Head is going to read uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 19. One Corinthians fifteen. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance: that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures; that He was buried; that He was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures; and that He appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom were still living, though some had fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of all apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect." No, I worked harder than all of them, yet, uh, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we have then been found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ... We are to be pitied more than all men. Thanks, Hayley. I, I remember the, the day quite vividly. It was a cold, wet Tuesday in March 1991. And I kind of had that um, aha moment. Uh, it was a strange day. We, we sang and we prayed and we laughed, and we cried, and it was like no other funeral I'd ever been, before, been to before in my life. I've been to lots of funerals. Uh, I've been to family funerals, friends' funerals, my grandfather's, my own father's funeral. I even read the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, at my dad's own funeral 20 years ago. But this particular funeral, like the aha moment where the penny dropped, because something was so different about that funeral. It was joyful. It was a celebration. And people were mourning and people were grieving, but they were grieving with hope. I remember talking to the person who I met up with most weeks to read the Bible, and I said, why is this so different? And he said these words. He said, it's because of the resurrection. He said, Barbara is now with Jesus because of the resurrection. So of course we're sad and of course we're grieving, but we're grieving with hope because of the resurrection. And it was like the penny dropped because of the resurrection. I've been a Christian for about a year at this point, and I'd learned lots about the cross. I'd even started to read the book called The Cross of Christ, which is this big volume. 
And I believed in the resurrection, but I hadn't understood the implications of the resurrection. And that was the day of the pain drop for me. The resurrection changes my life now. And for the past 20 years, it's changed the way that I grieve. Uh, so when Ben, a 28-year-old friend of mine, died, leaving a wife and two kids, it changed the way I grieved because of the resurrection. Uh, when Mary died of cancer, it changed the way I grieved for her because of the resurrection. She was with, with Jesus. A woman that I'm meeting today who is dying, she believes in Jesus. It changes the way that she faces death because of the resurrection. And it changes the way that I face my death because of the resurrection. I know where I'm going. I know the hope, the future, the certainty. Could you, you say the same thing if you were to die tonight? Could you say you know where you're going? You know what your future is? Because I fear that most people who sit in church, they might believe in the resurrection, but they haven't understood the implications of the resurrection. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Let's begin by looking at if Jesus was not raised. What's at stake if Jesus was not raised? Firstly, our faith is worthless. That's what this passage says. Look at verse 14 with me. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Or down to verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. If Christ is still in the grave, there is no forgiveness of sins. The cross didn't work. Our sins are still counted against us. If Christ has not been raised, there's still a day when you will face Jesus and he will put out a list of all the things that you've done wrong and all the good things that you haven't done and they're still going to be counted against you if there's no resurrection. If Christ hasn't been raised, then death hasn't been defeated. If Christ hasn't been raised, then Paul's preaching was useless. And this whole book is a pack of lies. And if Christ hasn't been raised, you'd be better off believing in Peter Pan or Shrek or any other fictional character. See, denying the resurrection is like taking the foundation stone from the house, it just all crumbles. It's like taking that, that key block out of Jenga and the whole thing collapses. If Jesus was not raised, then Christ is not who he says he was and the cross didn't work and death has not been defeated. If Christ has not been raised, there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no forgiveness, there's no point, there's no hope. And your faith is worthless. Worse than that, if Christ has not been raised, then our loved ones are lost. That's what he says down in verse 18. He says, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If Christ hasn't been raised, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. That phrase, fallen asleep, is just a polite way of describing death. You know, when you fall asleep, you fall asleep because you expect to wake up again. And that's what the Bible says, that, that those who fall asleep in Christ, who die in Christ, they've gone to be with Jesus and they will be raised on the last day. But if Christ wasn't, wasn't raised, then that's just pious nonsense. And there's no guarantee and no hope. And our loved ones, my, my, my grandfather, my father, or the Christian friends that I know, they just live, they die, they cease to exist. As simple as that. You won't see them again. 
And there's no comfort, there's no hope. Without the resurrection, there's no future. Now one thing that really annoys me, is when people say to me, as long as it makes you happy, Paul, about my faith. It makes you happy, that's okay. If it works for you, it's rubbish. Either it's true or it's not true. And if it's not true, if Jesus didn't rise, it's not good on you, Paul, good for you. It's, Paul, you're an idiot. You're to be pitied more than most people. That's what Paul says down in verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. Because we've fallen for the biggest hoax in the world history. And we believe in the future when there is no future. Why are we giving up creature comforts if there's no resurrection? Why are we giving time to work for God? Why are we giving money to the church? Why do we bother to pray? Why bother to read the Bible? Why bother to come to church when you could be out there partying and drinking and just enjoying life? If there is no resurrection, it's not good for you, Paul. It's, Paul, you're a fool. Because if Jesus didn't rise, I'm inviting you just to stand up now and just walk out of this building. Go and do whatever makes you happy. If Jesus didn't, didn't rise, we are a bunch of losers sitting in an old building in hard pews, singing songs when there's no hope, no forgiveness, and no point. Have you got it? You cannot have a saviour who remained dead. If there's no resurrection, there's no Christianity. But Jesus did rise. So since Jesus was raised. Jesus was raised. Look at verse 3. Paul says, I received, I passed on to you as first importance, as primary importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried. He was placed in a tomb. The woman saw it, the Roman soldiers guarded it, and then he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. He died on a Friday, God raised him on a Sunday. So when the disciples arrived, the tomb was empty because the Messiah had come back to life. And if you don't believe me, says Paul, go and ask people. Because four times in his verses, he talks about the word appeared. Uh, Verse 5, he appeared to Peter, the man who had denied Jesus. And then he appeared to the 12, the people who had run away and ignored Jesus. And then he appeared, verse 6, to more than 500 people. That's about, I don't know, 10 times No, a hundred times of people gathered here. We don't know who they were, we don't know where they were, but he appeared to them, he was alive. And then he appeared to, verse 7, to James and to all the apostles and last of all to Paul. I don't get it. Intellectually, Intellectually, what more proof do people want? What more evidence do people want that Jesus was raised? Sure, the resurrection doesn't fit into our human logical framework, does it? But then I'm not God and you're not God. Why didn't God provide a different solution to sins? I don't know, I'm not God. Why didn't God spare his son? I don't know, I'm not God. Why didn't God just write in the sky, Jesus, I'm alive? I don't know. But I do know this, that Christ died, he was buried, and he was raised. And the implications of that are massive. 
Let me give you three amazing implications. First one is this. That since Jesus was raised, your future is certain. Look how Jesus described in verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ is our first fruit. It's a word taken from the Old Testament where a portion of the harvest was given to guarantee the larger crop to come. So Jesus is the first fruit because his resurrection guarantees what is to come. What's to come? Our resurrection. My resurrection and your resurrection. We can be certain of that. Why? Because of the resurrection. He says in verse 21, Since death came through a man. Who was that man? His name was Adam. Death came through the first man. We're all born with this seed called rebellion. We all face death. But, verse 21, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man whose name was Jesus Christ. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. He goes on, doesn't he, in verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. He's painting this picture, there's two teams. You're either on Adam's team or you're on Christ's team. If you're in Adam, you're going to die. If you're in Christ, you're going to be raised. How do you know? Keep reading. Verse 23, but each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. He's going to bring with him all who have fallen asleep in him. And then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to, put, put his death is, put, to be destroyed is death. So the promise here is that death is our great enemy. Death is what we fear, and yet Jesus defeated death. And because of that, you and I can be certain of the resurrection. People say to me, how can you be so confident? How can you be so sure? The answer is, because the tomb was empty. How do you know? Because people saw the empty tomb. How do you know? Because he appeared to his disciples. So what? So what? It means that I've got a future, I've got a hope, I've, I've got a new body awaiting me. And that changed the way that Paul approached life, you know. The Apostle Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ. Yes, he lived on this earth, but actually he was longing to be with his Savior. He was longing for his resurrection body. And it changes the attitude to, to death and to grief. Because if someone's in Christ, when they die, they've gone to be with Christ. And yes, we miss them. And yes, we, we long to see them and to touch them and to be with them. But we know they're with Christ. Are you certain about your future? Are you confident where you're going? You can be because of Christ, because of the resurrection. Are you in Adam still or are you in Christ? Are you on the right team? That's the question you've got to grapple with this Easter time. But there's another extraordinary implication. Here it is. That our bodies will be transformed. How would you describe your body? Be honest. I think a good word is frail, fragile, decaying. I'm turning 40 next week. I'm getting old. The bones are aching a bit more. 
more hairs falling out, more hairs appearing in different parts of the body, everything's sagging. I'm getting older. And I'm just reminded each week that, that our bodies are decaying, you know, the death of a celebrity unexpectedly. The child I met this week with uh, cystic fibrosis. Uh, the woman who is dying of kidney failure or the woman who has respiratory problems. Our, our bodies are frail and fragile. A book was published recently about a, a young boy who died age six. He was born a cripple and his Christian parents wrote a book about his struggles and for the title of the book they used a phrase that has stuck in their memory because the boy often said it. The book is called this but I won't be a cripple when I see Jesus. But I won't be a cripple when I see Jesus. And that little six-year-old may not have grasped all the intricacies of the resurrection, but he was longing for a new body. And that's what we've got guaranteed. Look at verse 35. Someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of bodies will they come? How foolish. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. Uh, when you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps a wheat or something else. But God gives it a body as he is determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Paul's answer is like the advertiser's dream. What's your body going to be like? It's going to be the same, but extraordinarily different. It's going to be the same, but the kind of the new improved you. <laughs> That was Jesus, wasn't it? Jesus' earthly body, his human body, was hungry and thirsty. It has skin and bones and ligaments. You could see his humanity most clearly at the trial and the crucifixion where he bled and the skin was torn off his back. But his resurrection body, it was physical, it was the same. People could recognize him, but it was different. He could walk through walls. It's the same with us. Our resurrection bodies will be the same, but different. And the analogy that Paul uses is, is one of the seed and the plant. Sam came home on Wednesday with this. He's very excited about this. He said to me, this is a lettuce. Okay, it doesn't look like a lettuce. Lettuces are green and I eat them. He said, no, you've got to water it. And he's got his label on saying lettuce. Sam L. It's just starting to sprout. You see it? Probably can't see it from there. A little green thing just there. And in the next few days, next few weeks, that little seed will plant, will grow into a lettuce. It starts as a seed. It ends up as a lettuce. The body you've got now is just a seed. It's just like a little seed. It doesn't look much but what you've got promised you is the plant, the lettuce. It will be perfect and beautiful and glorious. The same but different. That, that lettuce seed doesn't produce cucumbers, it produces lettuces. Your body will be you, but the new improved glorious you. Isn't that what you want? I don't want the same body that was put into the ground in a casket. I don't want my dodgy knees and my heart murmur anymore. I don't want my bowel problems and my migraines anymore. I want the perfect, glorious, transformed body. 
And that's what God promises me because of the resurrection. Look how Paul describes our human body down in verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that's sown is perishable. This human body is perishable. It's decaying. It doesn't look good for long. Uh, Verse 43, it's sown in dishonor. This body is dishonorable. Yep, some of the bodily functions are dishonorable. It's sown in weakness. Yes, we are weak, we are frail, we are fragile. It's sown a natural body. It's fleshly. I don't do what I want to do. I say things that shock myself. That's my earthly body. You know, we can cover up this fleshly, weak, sinful body with clothes. We can pop pills. We can have surgery. We can play the game. But this body is still dying and decaying and perishable. But my heavenly body, look how it's described in verse 42. The body that's sown is perishable, but it's raised imperishable and immortal. It will not die. It's sown in dishonor, but it, was, it is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. Strong, fit, no pain, no aches. It's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Please don't think a disembodied spirit in this shadowy afterworld. To have a spiritual body means that you bear the likeness of Christ. You're fit for heaven. Don't you just long for the day when your body is perfect. Just close your eyes and imagine this. Don't you long for bodies where there are no cancers and no disabilities and no wheelchairs and no medical insurance and no crutches and a world without sickness and a world without disease and a world without viruses like AIDS or hepatitis and a world without miscarriages and a world without chronic pain and infirmity and a world without mental health issues. No depression, no eating disorders, no anxiety, no funerals, no temptation, no sin, no slander, no doctors. That's what's promised because of the resurrection. That's what we're waiting for. We haven't got it yet, but it is guaranteed. How can God do that? How can God do that? How can God take a body that's decayed for hundreds of years or even thousands of years and create a new body? How can God take a body that's been burned, been cremated, and and, and make you again? How foolish we are. If God can create the world as a word, if God can make a beautiful butterfly emerge from a grub, if God can make a, a lettuce grow out of a seed. Of course God can and God will do that. The problem is we're so self-centered, we just ask questions like, what will my body be like and how will I be? Rather than saying, wow, how glorious God is and how powerful God is that he can do that. Because of the resurrection, your future is certain, your bodies will be transformed. And lastly, because of the resurrection, your life is different now. You see, life is not all about the future. I sometimes meet Christians who are playing this, sort of, this game of two halves. Life on the earth, 
but we're just living here for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and then the resurrection kicks in. It's not what the Bible says. The resurrection kicks in now. It has kicked in now. Because of the resurrection, your life has changed now. And because you know your future, it's got to change your today. It's a bit like the difference between living in a hotel room and living at home. You know when you go to a hotel room, you're there for one night. I don't know about you, but I just treat it like a hotel. <laughs> you know, I leave my towels lying around. I don't make the bed. I don't care what mess I'm going to make. I'm not there tomorrow. Someone else can clean up that mess. But at home, most of the time, I pick up the towels off the floor and I clean up the mess. Because I'm going to be there tomorrow as well. And if you know there's a tomorrow, it's got to impact your today. And so how does a resurrection change your today? I'll give you three words, three letters. Sorry, three words. They're there in verse 10. Paul says this, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Here's the three words, Yet not I. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was, that was with me. See, what Paul is saying there is that he is the worst of sinners. He's the one who persecuted the church. He's the one who killed Christians, but God's grace was poured out on him, and it changed his life dramatically. And so from that day forward, his three words are, yet not I. Sure, he's a great preacher. Yet not him, but the grace of God at work in him. He's the greatest church planter in history. Yet not I, but the grace of God that has work in him. And if you understood the resurrection, those three words will change your today. Because you don't live for yourself. You don't live by yourself. It's not about you. It's about the grace of God at work in you because you're heading for the resurrection day. So you may be successful in the eyes of the world. You may be successful in the eyes of this church. Uh, But the gospel of the resurrection grace transforms you with those three words, yet not I. I sing with passion, yet not I, but the grace of God that's at work within me. I'm a disciplined Bible reader, yet not I, but the grace of God that's at work within me. I'm a great parent or a great teacher or I have incredible listening skills, yet not I, yet not I, but the grace of God that's at work within me. See, if you understood the resurrection you become less selfish and less self-centered and more dependent on God every day. It humbles you because you live today for Jesus, longing for the day when you're going to see him face to face. See how the resurrection changes you? Your future is certain. Christ is the first fruit. He has been raised. You'll be raised as well. This body of mine, this body of yours, it will be transformed. New, imperishable, glorious body. No pain, no suffering. And for today, it's all about Jesus. All about his grace. And not about me and not about you. Now my guess is that this year I'll conduct a few more funerals. I'll bury some more friends and some more family. But the resurrection changes everything. 
because we have a hope. We have a future. We have certainty because of the resurrection. Let me pray. Uh, Lord God, we, we look forward to tomorrow morning when we will just celebrate with joy the resurrection. We praise you that Christ was raised, that our sins are forgiven, that our faith is not futile, that our loved ones are not lost, that our future is certain, that our bodies will be transformed, and that you have changed the way that we live now. Lord, we praise you for that empty tomb. And we praise you in Jesus' name.